of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Father, we are humbled by the fact that you have so communicated your love and truth to us that by our faith and confidence in you, you have taken us from one status and put us into another status. Our position in you and because of you, Jesus, is that we now belong to you, Lord. And not only do we belong to you in one sense or another, but you have called us your own children. Help us, Lord, to recognize the beauty, the richness, the depth of that. Help us to work through the issues that sometimes we lose sight of our sonship relationship and we start living like we're servants. In Jesus' name, amen. No longer a slave, but a son. The world of a slave is all based upon how well he or she performs and diligently serves that master. On the other hand, the world of a son is all based upon how great is the love of that father. The value and worth of a slave is in how well they perform and how much they can produce, how much they succeed, how much they're able to achieve, how much they're able to accomplish. Whereas a son, the self-worth and value of a son or daughter belonging to God is in the quality and the power of that father's love. The future of a slave is always going to diminish as far as security and confidence because at some point the slave is no longer able to keep up with other slaves and the expectation that is put upon a slave. Yet the future of a son is bound up in all of the promises of the future and in the strength that the father's love will simply increase. The future of a son leans upon the blessings, the favor, the promises, and the future inheritance. It is a concept that the Apostle Paul is attempting to address in the book of Galatians that sometimes people have come to faith and we still are trying to impress or meet these expectations of God. We live as if we're simply servants. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we are in a relationship that is dependent not on our performance but on the love that comes from the Father. His attempt in Galatians is to persuade and remind the new believers in Christ to live as sons and daughters of God and no longer like slaves. Apparently this relationship between the Lord and the followers of God has begun to be based more on a kind of performance rather than being that which is motivated by love. And so the challenge for us even today is to humbly consider, first of all, is our relationship with Christ Jesus established on what we do or is that relationship built and developed because of who we are in Christ? It's difficult sometimes to maintain the beauty of that healthy relationship, but we all could imagine 
growing up as a child, that that love is based on performance or that relationship is based on performance more than simply knowing without any question your parents really love you. Sometimes we can uh, lose that concept in our relationship with God because we somehow begin to believe that everything comes down to making sure that we're doing at least, if not more, than is required just to keep God happy. I don't know if you realize that most religious backgrounds other than Christianity, it's really about a kind of performance. There's a principle or set of codes or ethics to follow, and there's a kind of relationship that is constantly trying to give that God of choice exactly what they want through Jesus Christ. We're reminded not only of the richness of his grace, but the faithfulness of his love. Sometimes that's difficult to ask ourselves, how are we really living our lives, whether or not we are of a tendency to believe that I'm okay with God because of what I'm doing, or am I okay with God because of what he's doing? And though our faith does call us to be responsible in life, it does call us to demonstrate that love, and that love is really measured by our obedience or devotion to Him, but that does not say it's the same as living as if we always got to reach a certain standard. Can we find our confidence and hope in God and rely upon Him In our everyday matters of life, do we really trust that my relationship is based upon Jesus Christ and what he's done? What the celebration of the Lord's Supper is all about is a fresh reminder. It's not you and I in what we do that gives us our security and confidence in God. It's what Jesus Christ has already done and he promises to continue to do. We can have absolute confidence that what He has begun in our lives, He will complete it. He will finish it. He will perfect it. He will bring it to a maturity level. And our confidence is in Him. It's who we are that gives us that kind of uh, framework to build our lives upon. Uh, One of the things that the early church was well known for wasn't so much for the things they did. It's what they believed about the one who has already done it all. It's about their focus on Jesus Christ. And the message of grace was the driving factor that began to establish the church in all of its purposes. One of the rather uh, revealing ways of trying to understand where our own relationship is at. And even though we may know that our relationship is not based on performance, sometimes it still comes out that we're still trying to make sure we get it right because we are afraid of the consequences. So the first thing that becomes revealing as to whether or not our relationship is based on what Jesus has done rather than what we're presently doing is the issue of trust. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 and 8, if you'd like to turn there with me. We want to think about trust Because in every relationship in life, whether it happens to be with friends, whether it has to be with our spouse, no matter where it is in life, you and I uh, could uh, reasonably understand that if trust is a question, then the quality of that relationship is going to constantly be a unique challenge. 
if trust is broken between uh, a spouse and our, ourselves, you and I can only imagine thinking about all the complexities that continue to work in that dynamic. But sometimes we have a struggle with trusting God, and therefore we feel as if we must do something or attain something or withdraw from something. It's going to show up in those areas of a relationship that require intimacy. And that is important to recognize. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 through 8, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green and has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Now, when we think about promises and we think about the blessings associated with an individual who trusts God, we might find ourselves looking more to those scriptures thinking about, if I could only learn to trust. The question is, how do we have a tendency to respond when fear and worries begin to creep into our life? Because trust is not so something so much that you and I force or develop. It's simply the fruit of a relationship knowing God loves me and I have chosen to respond by loving Him. As that love develops and as our confidence in God begins to continue to grow and become stronger and more sure, then the fears, the worries of life will begin to become less influential in controlling us. Life comes with plenty of fears and worries. It doesn't take long to go through life and realize that our level of trust is going to be challenged. And as much as life is sweet and as much as life is beautiful, it's easy to say, of course I trust God. Look at how well life works. But as we journey on, fears creep in. The worries of life come in we must ask ourselves, shall I begin thinking about what I can do to manipulate God to bless me, or can I learn to trust that His love is going to be the same? These will challenge our reality of our, our trust in the Lord when we go through experiences, uh, but uh, those in a healthy relationship of love will find particularly the moments of how trust is expressed to become meaningful and rather rewarding as we think in terms of our worship experiences. I know that when we think in terms of worship, however we tend to measure a good worship experience, a lot of it has to do with how much I'm trusting that God really loves me. It's hard to worship if we have not learned to rest in that love. It will change the dynamic of worship just as much as it changes that dynamic in prayer. When trust is questioned in prayer, we might be looking for ways to pray to kind of twist God's arm a little bit. We might find our ways of believing that I must do this more, I must do it longer, I must change something because I believe if I just do what I need to do, I'm going to get what I want. And so trust is a very important uh, uh, measuring device in our lives. As we humbly consider life and we look at those fears and worries, 
have we come to a place where we can rest in a loving Father. It's who He is that gives us the basis of our lives. The daily moments of, of meditating upon the Scriptures, we find that sometimes when we come across promises, we struggle saying, is God really that good? I mean, when we measure the promises that are found in God's Word, it's going to challenge our trust. Can we truly believe that God is, is good and He's gracious and He's kind and He's loving? Those issues will bring out a question, do I really trust Him? But especially, do I trust Him because I get what I want, or do I trust Him because I believe He is faithful? He is kind, and He is uh, gracious. It's hard sometimes to measure the reality of whether or not we really trust God, but Jesus said something very interesting in Matthew 11, verses uh, 28 through 30. If you turn with me, please. Matthew chapter 11, verse uh, 28 uh, through 30. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That concept of rest is really a, a, a term that's trying to explain intimacy. And when we face fears and we have those worries in life, we will find ourselves uh, beginning to express whether or not we live a performance-oriented life or we indeed rest in the love that God has given to us. There's times that we're rather tempted to figure out a way to add something or to present something or to do something hoping that this action is going to twist the hand of the Almighty. It's important to know that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we need to learn to come in and lay down our weariness and lay down our struggles and rest in the divine embrace. Those of you that have gone through seasons of challenges, you've gone through uh, many different hardships in life, you understand what it's like to enter into the rest that God has given to us. And we do this through expressions of our worship times. We do this in the pouring out our heart in prayer. We do this in allowing the Word of God to minister us and restore us and give us strength once again. If somehow we're trying to force or manipulate some things so that circumstances happen, we need to be careful. That's something you and I do rather than something Jesus does all by himself. It's a beautiful thing to experience. We are not slaves anymore. We don't have to impress God. We don't have to manipulate. We don't have to be seen. We simply trust he loves us. He's going to take care of us. It frees us up in our worship experiences. It changes drastically the way you and I pray. It certainly alters the way you and I look into the Scriptures and just rest in the truth that is given to us. Trust. Second thing that uh, is rather revealing evidence about our relationship of love with God is when motives 
surface themselves. Motives. It's strange to think that our motives are that uh, revealing, uh, but sometimes we may do things and our motive is one thing, or we do things and our motive is another. You and I recognize that a relationship of love with God is going to produce a different kind of motive than a relationship that is based on us performing ourselves. Uh, if we are still sort of on that treadmill of trying to get God to like us or get God to respond a certain way, that is going to look different. A slave is valued by performance and therefore is highly tempted to make sure they're seen doing the things that would make their master happy. A slave is consumed in being noticed, recognized, and applauded. A son is free to rest in God's watchful eye of love and grace. It's hard sometimes to wonder how that is translated to God, but it often shows up in the way we live in front of other people. A motive is uh, pretty much the, the manifestation or the evidence that you and I uh, are living within this performance mode because a performance person, when it comes to sports, they're the ones that are keeping their eye on making sure everybody sees what they do on the playing field. Whereas when the game is simply a, a, a commitment of, of living this life in just being free to play the game, they're not so concerned whether anybody notices it or not. Um, Jesus dealt with the religious leaders who had a very works-oriented relationship with God. And so Jesus gives those classic descriptions on the Sermon on the Mount that when you do your righteous deeds, do not do them to be seen by man. And there's one example of how the motive is to be seen. And so the religious leaders were living, in essence, as servants or slaves of the master rather than a relationship with love. Jesus has come to give us that love and put that love in our hearts so that we are free to simply love God without worried about whether anybody noticed it. Jesus goes on to say not only the righteous acts, but even in prayer. It's to be able to pray without necessarily worry about what we're heard. And sometimes we can even do that before God by extending our prayer times or extending or raising our voice or saying it in this lofty terms. And I, I'm not going to say a whole lot here. I'm just trying to graciously work my way through this one. I think we understand when motives are not healthy, and that love towards God is not pure, it's going to show up and we might come across a little bit fake. It's not only in that uh, prayer aspect, but it, Jesus goes on to say, in the giving, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And we might struggle and say, well, how do you do that? The important thing is, it's motive. If we find ourselves free to live for God, then we have a relationship that flows out of love versus a relationship that has to make sure somebody sees what I am doing. Each of us may be tempted to do these things at times. That's a little bit different than it becomes a way of living. The scriptures teach we're no longer slaves. 
We're no longer servants. We're no longer bound so much with our past. We are committed to a God who is about our future. He transforms us. He changes us so that we can freely trust him, knowing it's settled in the relationship of love. It's the Father's love. It changes our worship. It changes our prayer time. It changes our enjoyment in the reading of scriptures. And then we also realize it certainly changes the attitude and motives of our heart. My point that I want to try to clarify is we begin coming to God quite often with a sort of a servant type of attitude. And that's what Galatians is talking about. There's a point when our motives become purified. Quite often we come to God because we want something. We either want eternal life, we want to be healed, we want some blessing, we want some favor. We move into sonship when we realize it's not so much what I want, it's just Him. We fall in love with the person of Jesus Christ. That's what this sonship and this being a daughter of God is all about is we want to know that that love is all that really matters. And then we will reflect that love in giving and devoting our lives to Him. One more rather revealing evidence of a relationship of love versus one of performance is in our spiritual competence and spiritual confidence. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we want to look at verses 4 and 5. Once again, a slave is trying to impress and a son delights in who the father is. Some people of faith tend to express their faith in what they can do for God, while those who are in a relationship of love know that they are loved and express their faith in believing what God desires to do through them. You see, it's difficult sometimes to clarify the difference between a confidence that has courage and faith versus an arrogance that is still attempting to control the situation. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Such confidence... as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Knowing you're loved gives you a kind of freedom in life and an ability to excel, an ability to thrive, an ability to experience the richness and the fullness of life. A relationship in which love is never really settled and the heart does not really know whether love is there is going to begin becoming a little bit more outspoken and demonstrative but in negative ways. It's so true when children are raised that it becomes rather revealing when you begin to see the behaviors and the attitudes rising out and the same thing happens within our Christian faith. You have probably run into people who, in essence, they do not seem to have the freedom of simply trusting that God will take care of them, but they work in a way and teach in a certain way 
that you have to go for it and you have to seize it. You have to claim it and you have to keep it rather than trusting there's a God who loves me and he knows my needs. He understands my purpose and my commitment to him is to have confidence in him, not arrogance. As we think about this, we see that uh, uh, there are two kinds of, of pride that the Apostle Paul is dealing with. And it's interesting that Paul is accused of being a little arrogant when you read the Corinthian letters. People have said because of his bold statements, they say he's a little bit full of himself. That's why it's difficult sometimes to pull it apart. But the bottom line is we're asking ourselves to humbly consider, have I allowed my relationship to be based on love from him and to him, or is my relationship based somehow on my performance or my control? We think in this uh, about the two kinds of pride. One is that which tends to advance itself, and the other is to have a kind of false humility. The one tends to promote itself and works hard at maintaining the position or control, and sometimes our faith is going to be tempted, especially when fears and worries creep into life, that we can begin to, to develop a, some kind of a desire that we, we need to work at trying to make things happen, spiritually speaking. And uh, sometimes as, as a pastor, it's highly tempting to you know, make success part of the agenda. And that is uh, something that does not rest in the love and grace of God, it trusts that somehow there's a way to work the system. Well, that can happen on a, a church level. It can happen on a personal level. It can happen in many areas of our lives. It's this love relationship when that is stable and secure that I can rest. God knows how to take care of what he wants to provide for us. Uh, so that can be that, that self-advancement. But the other one that's strange to think and what Paul is really addressing here is the concept of a false humility. Uh, you and I are well aware that the Christians are supposed to be humble people. We're supposed to be people sometimes that, that gets interpreted that anybody else is allowed to do whatever they want. We will never dare confront, approach, or take a stand. Now Paul is saying that his competence or his confidence in verse 4 is that it comes through Christ before God, not that we're confident in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. One of the Old Testament illustrations is you have David. He's got a slingshot, he's got a few stones, and he believes because he belongs to God, and back then the, the covenant that was cut with God was he was circumcised. So he goes to Goliath, who he says, you're up and you're going down. Now, where does that come from? I mean, it'd be very easy for us to say, David, you are just a little kid, which his brother said, and you are so full of yourself. But was he full of himself? Or did he have a love relationship with God that he was so confident in the love of God that it appeared as if he was cocky and arrogant? But the truth is, he made a statement you can't run God's name in the mud and get away with it. Here's the question. Is our confidence the type that simply believes that or shall our competence take a stand? The important thing 
about how we have a love relationship with God is it's going to become evidence in a way that we will take a stand and be strong and courageous because it's God who wants to accomplish His purposes. I trust that when we think in terms of that relationship with love, uh, it, it, it sometimes is difficult to understand where our tendencies may be or why we are struggling with this love relationship and we move into performance. But one thing that seems to be classic more and more is children growing up in homes where God is not the center of the home and therefore their idea of God is to somehow control Him and use Him for purposes of their own, rather than growing up in homes where they learn that that love is a gift, and it is cherished as a gift, and it's given as a gift. Well, when we prepare uh, ourselves for uh, communion, we need to uh, simply look at a couple verses uh, to grant us assurance that uh, as we look in John chapter 1, verse 12, simply want to just touch upon a couple verses that remind us of the fact that that love is indeed just given to us. And the way we best prepare to take the holy sacraments is not so much to try to think of what we need to do, but what Jesus has already done, and to rest in that. John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who received him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right, that is the privileges, that is the benefits, it's even the power to become children of God. Have we come to believe that our relationship with God is completely and entirely based upon the fact that we have received Jesus and we believed in his power to bless us? Because as long as we're struggling, thinking there's got to be a catch to this, there's got to be something that you and I have to do. And it's not minimizing how we respond with our motives and with the quality of our life and with the agenda that goes on. But have we come to a place that we believe God loves us and His grace has somehow worked its way through our minds and hearts and brought us to a place My confidence is in Him. It's a love relationship. And that love will express itself in many different ways, particularly in our worship, in our prayer, and the way that you and I respond to the truth of God's Word. It will begin to reveal itself. And the motives that tend to drive us, we will be changed from the inside out. In other words, we begin responding to God and responding to other people that we are free to simply let the love of God begin to flow through us and that love can be towards someone else. We are free that those various forms of trying to to work things into place, they begin to fall away because a relationship that God truly loves us. Romans chapter 8, one more and then we'll... uh, celebrate communion together. Romans chapter 8. The important thing we wanted to see in that verse is that we are not simply slaves, but we are children of God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. In second, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 12. I'll start there. 
Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself teaches or testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. The way that you and I begin to experience that freedom because of His love is the Holy Spirit is going to bring about His own kind of conviction. He will bring His own kind of consecration. He will bring His own kind of transformation. He will bring His own kind of validation. As you study the movement of the Spirit, God's Spirit is to transform us, to clean us up, and indeed to set us free. We are confident it's not because of things that you and I have done. It's because Jesus already did it all. And when we respond to Him in love, out of pure grace, you and I are guaranteed to change. The struggle we have sometimes is to somehow get caught in our modes of fear, and our modes of worries, or maybe even in our modes of trying to run our Christian face on our terms, it's going to come out more about what we do for God than what God does right through us. Let's pray. Lord, we are humbled by your grace, and your love has been expressed and communicated and imparted to us. We pray as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, we would be freshly reminded, it's Jesus. You did it all, and you will continue to do even more. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite a couple ushers to come forward as we prepare to celebrate together. Let's pray. Father, you have reminded us of the richness of your grace and the immeasurable boundaries of your love. We can never fully understand the price that you paid or the necessity of that. But we do know, O oh God, that guilt and shame seems to torment so many. We pray that we would recognize that cleaning ourselves up is not the answer, but to trust in your cleansing work, that is the truth. We thank you, Lord, that that love gives us the flexibility and the assurance that wherever we've been this week, we can come back to the same Savior with absolute assurance of the same cleansing power. I thank you, God, that you have enabled us to not only fix our eyes on Jesus, but we can confidently trust that we are not preached, but it's Christ Jesus crucified. 
And Lord, by our faith in your death, we are confident that the symbol of this bread and the brokenness of the bread is our hope and our healing in the future. We thank you, Lord, that you took that bread and when you had broken it, you gave thanks and said to your disciples, take, eat, every one of you, but do it in remembrance of me. And that brokenness is the secret to our forgiveness. We give you thanks, not only remind us, but God once again cleanse us. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone hold the bread till we're served, and we will partake of that together. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do it in remembrance of me. Our freedom comes when we realize it was for me. He simply turned to his disciples on that night before he was betrayed. He said, take, eat, every one of you. But do it in remembrance of me. Father, the sacredness of your blood is beyond certainly our comprehension, but you have instituted a principle of substitution that through the blood of one it can cleanse another. And yet when it came to the greatness of our salvation, you did not use a substitute. You, in fact, shed your own blood for our salvation. And yet because of what you have done on the cross and because of the holiness or the purity of that blood, the source of life, the creator of life, has shed his blood for all humanity. And we thank you, O oh God, that through the shedding of your blood, there is forgiveness. There's complete removal of the guilt and shame. We pray that by faith we would recognize, as we acknowledge our sin, that you have provided a complete 
and total cleansing. Thank you, Lord, for the price you paid. May that love touch our hearts and transform us indeed to be honorable and pleasing in your sight. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone, please hold the cup till we're all served and we will partake of that together. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do it in remembrance of me. What a statement of victory with profound significance. But what he was truly looking at is this is a reminder of what he was about to do the next day. And that is to yield himself and to allow his life to be sacrificed so you and I can have eternal life. It's amazing how the beauty of what Christ has done has come with so many promises, yet our freedom comes when we rest not in what we have done or who we've become, but who we are because of Jesus Christ. A faith that believes that this love is so great, drink from it all of you, but do it in remembrance of me, Jesus said to his disciples. We have a song of celebration. Let's stand. It's built on nothing less then Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only lean on 
of his 